Welcome to The Gathering Place with Blessed Is She. I'm Jenna Gizar. And I'm Beth Davis. Pull up a chair and grab a drink. Or you could just keep doing what you're doing. Pull up a chair in your heart. (laughs) Come chat with us about Jesus, prayer, community, and life. So let's get started. Hey, Beth. (laughs) Hi, Jenna. How are you? So good. Who do we have with us today? Father Andrew Mattingly, welcome. Oh, great to be with you guys. Thanks Thanks for coming. Yeah, thank you, Father. It's so good to see you and to be able to chat with you today, especially since we got to spend some time with you in Kansas City at the retreat. It was such a gift. Yeah. Yeah, I know. That was special for us. Thanks for letting us twist your arm to come out. Yeah, literally, we came to Kansas City at your invitation. So thank you. Yeah, one of my assistants was like, hey, there's this Blessed Is She thing. They do retreats. We should get them in town. I was like, oh, yeah, I've heard of them. So let's bring them to town. And yeah, everything was wonderful. Yeah, we had a beautiful time as well. Father, before we get in too deep, I would love for you to introduce yourself and let us know a little bit about what you do there in Kansas City. Uh, I was ordained in 2015, so I've been a priest uh, just celebrated four years a few weeks ago. It's been great. To commemorate four years, they gave me four jobs. So (laughs) I sort of run around like a chicken with my head cut off some days. I oversee college campus ministry for the diocese, so we have four kind of medium-sized campuses with campus ministries. I oversee our young adult ministry for the diocese, which, from what I've been told, is one of the more active, larger ones in the country. It's called City on a Hill. And most of my time there is spent in spiritual direction. I'm associate pastor at a small parish in the middle of Kansas City, right next to the most happening bar district. That's fun, getting woken up on Friday and Saturday nights. I'm also a chaplain at our newest Newman Center, which just opened last year. That's a little bit about me. Father, I'm curious when you began to discern a call to the priesthood. Yeah. So I raised Catholic, good parents, but never really thought about priesthood until high school when I went through kind of a personal conversion period. It was kind of at the end of that, so I, was, I would have been a senior in high school, that I actually asked the question seriously for the first time, uh, mostly due to the influence of a teacher I had who was kind of the primary cause of my conversion. It was a Catholic school. He, he sort of advised all of us to give it a thought. <laughs> you know, um, all the men should think about priesthood, all the women think about religious life. And, and so I was like, well, he convinced me that I should care at all about mass the eucharist the faith like he convinced me it's going to bring great joy that it's true i'll listen to him on this other piece of advice as well i thought about it senior year went to college only for a semester and then i transferred to seminary thank god for that teacher what's his name yeah nathan lewis yeah shout out i don't know if his wife listens to blessed she she might i wonder how many vocations were born of that invitation yeah how cool is that yeah, there was a guy two classes below me who actually, I live with him now. We're both priests, but we were in high school together. And so he would have had Nathan as well in class. So at least two. That is so cool. That's cool. Yeah. I always spend a little bit of time post-retreat, you know, just in prayer and processing with the team. And uh, I love to ask people, were there any visible fruits for you mm-hmm. from the retreat? So I'm curious if you experienced any visible fruits for yourself or any that you saw in your young adult community that you serve? Good question. I mean, probably the greatest fruits I saw was just in hearing confession. Obviously, I can't say too much there, but I do remember kind of the general 
thought I walked away from after the three hours or so that we were hearing confessions was the release of a lot of burdens, some significant ones, and a new awareness of basically the message that you guys were trying to give the whole weekend. You know, our primary identity is as sons and daughters of God, and I sensed that coming away from hearing the confessions. So I'd say that's the fruit you were going for. That's pretty good. Nailed it. Beth, did you have any fruits from the Kansas City retreat? There are always so many conversations that stick with me and women that I got to pray with. But I think at the deepest level, what always means the most to me is that the Lord is attentive to me. Yeah, I had some beautiful personal prayer, just like the Lord inviting me to deeper healing in a Mm. place that I thought wasn't really a big deal. But even when he kind of brought up that memory, I sort of inwardly like cringed, like, ugh, kind of thought that wasn't that big a deal. I thought I was like over that. I'm really grateful that the Lord just doesn't miss a thing Mm -hmm. and that he doesn't miss me even in the midst of serving or working, being in ministry. He's always just looking at and and after my heart, you know? Mm. Yeah. It's beautiful. Any visible fruits for you, my friend? Well, my world was rocked during the Mass. Yeah. He's so good to me in Mass, and I love the liturgy. But the homily was just one of the highlights of a retreat for me and something that I've been praying so much about ever since then and talking to people about and sharing the great wisdom that you shared with us, Father. And it was just such a touching homily and you know, we go to places and sometimes we don't know what we're going to get in terms of like, even just being able to relate to the priests that we're going to be able to serve with. And it was just really special to be able to hear you preach. And it was beautiful and touching and really meant a lot to me. So, and you had just come from a retreat. So you were so generous sharing (laughs) the fruits of that retreat with us. Yeah. Yeah. So father, if you wouldn't mind sharing the homily again, I know you would do a much better part of summarizing it than I would. I'm not a very good storyteller. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate the kind words. It was Pentecost. And so obviously you're going to talk about the Holy Spirit and something that I've just become more intentional about asking the Lord to help me with in my own life is the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit that are kind of enumerated in Isaiah 11. It's a messianic prophecy. So it's saying that the Messiah, when he comes, is going to be filled with spirit of wisdom and understanding, counsel and strength, etc. And so because we become members of Christ, we have some share in those gifts of the Holy Spirit as well. And so, I don't know, I've just been studying the gifts a little bit, asking the Lord to kind of make me a little more docile to them. And I've been really moved by him sort of showing me kind of like what you're talking about, Beth, like past things. He's kind of revealed to me different moments in my own life where he's prompted me with a specific gift of the Holy Spirit. And so just kind of reflecting on that led me to want to talk about it in the homily. So that's just like a classic image of the human soul that's really helpful, where if you imagine your soul as a ship, you're sort of on course for heaven, which is some distant harbor. In order to get there, the ship has to move forward in different ways. You can do that by rowing the oars, which are often likened to the virtues. The virtues are kind of like under our control, like I can make an act of prudence or temperance or justice, like simply by using my reason. But the gifts of the Holy Spirit are like the sails up above, which we can unfurl them 
we sort of do that by wanting what God wants. We have to unite our will to His. We have to be docile. We have to have a silent heart. But the sails by themselves can't do anything. They're different than the oars. The sails have to have the wind, you know? So the sails are more passive. That's what the gifts are. We sort of open our arms wide, you know, and say like, Lord, you have to prompt me to do things that I could not do sort of under my own strength. And if we do that, he'll choose different moments to prompt us in different ways. First of all, everything about that analogy (laughs) speaks to me. Mm. The soul as a ship, even the water as the events of our lives and how over the course of our lives that the water can be choppy or calm. That's a great analogy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, totally. And that heaven is the ultimate destination. It's the safe harbor. So I love all of that. Yeah. You kind of expounded upon this in the homily that the virtues, we really have to work at them. Whereas when the yeah. sails or the gifts of the Spirit are unfurled, that we really catch the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And I think just in my own life and pursuit of holiness, how do I balance effort and inspiration? Where do I really need to dig in and cultivate virtue and exercise virtue? How much of that can I even do without the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? So I think the analogy is just very helpful in kind of seeing the different activity of both. It's funny. It's not sort of as if we have to like work 50% effort and God does the other 50. It's sort of like you work 100% and then God supplies that with the grace and everything that you need for that work to become fruitful. I'm going to use all the human means at my disposal to grow in virtue and everything, while at the same time trying to keep a quiet heart so that if the Lord does prompt something very specific and sudden and unexpected, I'll say yes. The sail is unfurled, you know. I'm going to be rowing away like crazy down below the deck all day long, but I'm also going to make sure that my heart is quiet to like notice when the Holy Spirit says, wow, do this thing, you know. 98% of the promptings of the Holy Spirit are to do something very, very ordinary, but with a new supernatural perspective or with greater love than before. On my retreat, just like a really simple thing while I was at meals, which were silent, it was at a monastery, I had a prompting very first meal where the Lord was like, hey, try and tell me you love me with every bite that you eat. It's not like it was a prompting of the Holy Spirit to stand up and make some incredible pronouncement to all the monks that were, you know, it was just super ordinary, but, you know, it's just almost silly, but with a sort of a divine silliness, you know? Father, can you say more about that quiet heart, developing a quiet heart? I loved that too. I wanted to press into that. When you were saying a quiet heart and at the same time rowing like crazy Mm. below the deck, I, I wonder, sometimes I think I can be so fixated on trying to do the right thing that I get kind of on my own track about I need to grow in this way, I need to do this, when oftentimes I think the Lord wants to develop something else or talk about something else, but I can become, even in a Mm. pursuit of holiness and virtue, independent of the Lord. And so how do you make time in the midst of a lot of doing, even for the Lord doing, to develop a docile heart? Well, I would say there's sort of the more foundational approach that you have to take and then sort of the practical thing. So the approach is a quiet heart is sort of equatable to a pure heart. And what purity of heart means is that at all times and in every moment, I want only what God wants. 
it's like a complete detachment from my own will, which is much easier said than done. And I only want what God wants at every single moment. Whatever he wants, that's what I want. So that's the purity of heart that's kind of the foundation for the heart to be quiet in a more foundational sense. So that has to be there. If there's not even an intention to grow in wanting God's will over my will, then we can live out in external silence in the woods all we want, and we're not going to catch the prompting of the Holy Spirit. So that choice to really seek God's will above all things is the foundation for a quiet heart. And then once that's in place, then you can start working away at the various purification of the human person. So we purify our external senses. So to give a simple example, I remember I was on a trip with some seminarian friends, uh, I don't know, eight years ago or something, and we're on our way to Mass somewhere in this town in the morning. I was like, hey, let's listen to some music and throw on some random Spotify playlist and I don't know what was on there. Things that weren't conducive to approaching. We were going to make a holy hour before Mass. And I started to go to turn it on and another guy was like, dude, can we not listen to music? Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to pray. (laughs) And he's absolutely right. From that point forward, I made a resolution. Well, I'm never going to listen to music on the way to Mass. And the last couple years in particular, I've tried to really cut out a lot of music. And for quite a while at this point, I'm only listening to things that are sort of going to lift my heart more to the Lord, like chant, classical, acoustic things. All that just to say, that's one example of how we can start to purify our external senses so they're not full of as much noise. And gradually we go about purifying our interior beyond that, like purifying my intellect to always be docile to the teachings of the Lord in His church, purify my will to always choose what others and what the Lord wants over what I want. All those levels of purification will lead to our heart becoming more and more and more quiet. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm actually just a little dumbfounded that I haven't thought to not listen to music on the way to mass or adoration (laughs) because I've experienced that very thing where I get in there and I'm thinking about a song or a podcast, whatever, even sometimes things that are about the Lord. I don't have the quiet. I don't come in with that open and quiet disposition because there's something already in there. Not to say the Lord can't use anything to spur conversation and prayer, but... It's a pretty great insight, so I'm just grateful. I've been thinking recently about what we consume and how much it does affect our souls and our disposition towards the Mm -hmm. Lord. And it doesn't probably look like overconsumption to other people, but I am feeling like an overconsumption of YouTube drama channels. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know what that is. Father, you have no idea. It was a whole new world to me, too. Or Uh, just reality TV that's full of a lot of drama or Twitter Uh, that's full of a lot of drama and not necessarily drama that I'm like going and praying about and offering to the Lord and saying like, Lord, (laughs) I want you to fix this. You know, it's just for entertainment and consumption. And anyway, I've just been really feeling convicted about what I consume and how even though it seems so small, like it means something. I want my heart to be purified by the Lord. I want it to be quiet. I just love this language. I think it's so helpful to realize how to get to docility. You know, I think that can seem like such a lofty thing. And in these little practical ways, I think it's helpful to see how to get there and not in like a striving way either, just setting aside of other things and really letting the Lord 
just purify that. Well, it takes intentionality. Like you said, I made a resolution. That was a great insight, but docility really comes in now doing what you were inspired in that moment to do and over the long term, even. Yeah, that's good. Like with the drama thing, I mean, that's a funny example. One of the seven gifts is knowledge. And the, the definition of that particular gift of the Holy Spirit is that I'm able to make a right judgment about some created good and how it affects my primary end, which is heaven, union with God, perfect love. The Holy Spirit may prompt you in a certain moment. You may have this sudden realization, a sudden sort of accurate judgment that spending however much time doing X, Y, or Z is not fostering my ultimate goal. So then I need to decide to do something a little different. Am I going to then choose that over this particular created thing? But to just sort of judge accurately created things versus our supernatural end. And uh, like the same thing with music for me, I was just sort of like, well, it's not sinful for me to listen to music on the way to Mass, but is it the best thing I could do? Is it the thing that would give most glory to God? Is it the thing that's going to actually make me a saint? Well, no, (laughs) probably not. When that awareness comes kind of suddenly in a flash out of nowhere, it's sort of that gift of knowledge from the Holy Spirit. Actually, let me tell you guys one story about that particular gift, because this, I think, is my first memory of receiving the gift of knowledge in a particular instance. So it was like my second year of seminary, and I was helping with this adoration event at a high school gym. So we sort of set the gym up to be this chapel or whatever. And before the adoration began, I was going to introduce this guy who I'm now friends with. His name is Mike Debus. Incredible artist. He'll paint an amazing picture on this swinging easel that he sort of like flips around. And I didn't know that part of the shtick of the whole thing is that you don't know what's being painted until the very end. He had told me beforehand that it was going to be an image of the Lord with like a crown of thorns. And so I, being a dummy, like said it in the intro. I was like, yeah, so Mike's here with us. He's going to paint this great image of the Lord crowned with thorns. And then I see him. He's sort of in the back of the room, I I see him just, his head just drops and he puts his face in his hand and and I could tell like I had said something really wrong. And so I went over to him after I was done with my little spiel about adoration and I was like, is it not a crown of thorns? Like, I thought that's what you said it was or whatever. And he's like, no, no, like the whole point is that people don't know what it is until the end and stuff. So I felt terrible, right? I felt awful that I had ruined an essential part of his artistry and just this big weight on me for the next hour or two. And then at some point during adoration, this thought comes into my mind out of nowhere. It was a gift of knowledge from the Holy Spirit where he enabled me to judge accurately concerning my sadness. So here I am in this gym, adoration, super sad because I ruined this guy's thing. And a question popped into my mind from the Holy Spirit. Are you this sad when you commit a sin, right? Even, even a venial sin, does it produce this kind of sorrow and sadness in you? I had to answer no, <laughs> not even close normally. Then the next question came, you know, these darts of the Holy Spirit, like, is what you did up there, was it a sin? I was like, no, it was just an innocent mistake. And so then the conclusion where again, this prompting of the Holy Spirit enabled me to judge accurately and to say, well, 
Your sadness then over this makes zero sense. It's not from the Lord and it's to be rejected. This sadness comes from your own pride and vanity. The fact that you're more sad that someone thinks less of you than when you offend God Almighty means that you have a long way to go. But that was this piercing insight that enabled me to judge my sadness in its proper context. That was my first like memory of that particular gift being activated. It was amazing. I was like, where did that come from? You know, it was just sort of the sudden insight. I'm very grateful for these examples, these stories from your own life that you're sharing, because for me, I think sometimes the gifts of the Holy Spirit, even the fruits, the virtues, Mm. they just seem like a list on a page sometimes. And I can look at my own life and say, getting there, you know, check mark, no, X, not there yet. (laughs) But I'm not even sure how to cultivate them in my life, how to be more open to them. So I'm just grateful for the insight. Yeah, I've been getting into it a lot recently, especially with doing a lot of spiritual direction for young adults. I just recognize the need to really understand the human person well. What does a functioning saint look like? And part of that is to be almost exclusively led by the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The gifts are said to perfect the virtues. The virtues operate under a human principle, reason enlightened by faith. But the gifts operate under an exclusively divine principle where I'm just constantly led by God himself to see things in the right way, to act instantaneously according to what he would want me to do. It's been great just reading about and studying these things and asking for them more. Is there a certain book, Father, that you would recommend that maybe we could dive in and start reading about it as well? The one I've kind of been flipping through for about six months is more of just sort of a generic manual of the spiritual life. So a guy named Father Jordan Amen, he's a Dominican. I think he wrote it in the early 80s. It's common for this to be sort of like the textbook in seminaries when you study the supernatural organism of the baptized Christian. It's both theoretical and practical, but the section on the virtues and the gifts that perfect the particular virtues is pretty extensive. And at the end of each section, it's really great. He'll offer very practical ways to grow in that particular virtue or to cultivate docility to that particular gift. It's a very creative title. It's called Spiritual Theology. If I want to grow in virtue, if I want to also be more docile, you're saying the one perfects the other, but... To be honest, Father, even with everything I know, which is not a lot, but I struggle so much to make an act of charity. You know, I struggle to override yeah. my own will and choose to do right. Yeah. And it's so discouraging yeah. when I think about growing in virtue mm. or being docile to the Holy Spirit. I can become very easily discouraged by yeah. my own weakness. No, oh, yeah. Welcome to the human family that it's difficult, you know. Oftentimes people get discouraged because they look beyond the present moment. And so thinking about, oh my gosh, like I look at these virtues and gifts and I'm just like, where am I at? I'm not even close. Well, we have to remind ourselves that the Lord doesn't ask you to jump from A to Z in 24 hours. And it's actually a subtle temptation from the devil to look beyond the present moment in that light. Right now, what's God's will for you? Like he wants you to be here hosting this podcast and to do it with as much love and attention as you can. And that's what he wants me to be doing right now. So like, it's a great, very consoling to know that I'm doing God's will at the moment. After this, what does he want me to do? 
whatever like things are on my to-do list, I'm going to work for 30 minutes and then I'm going to pray vespers, you know, and so on and so on. I know what God's will is for me at each moment of the day. That's all he asks, one moment at a time. One thing for me recently that I've noticed I was getting super off track with was in praying the rosary. As I'm praying a Hail Mary, I'm looking ahead. Okay, there's 47 left, <laughs> you know, or I'm only on the second decade. I was losing my opportunity to just love Jesus and Mary in like every individual word that I was saying. I was into the future even just by three minutes. I can pray one Hail Mary with a lot of love. Like that's not a big deal. I can do that. And then when it's done, like I can pray the second one with love. Like I can do that. God can't be found in the future. He can only be found right now. And if I concentrate on the present moment with great love, incredible things can happen, you know? I just recently finished Father Jacques Philippe's In the School of the Holy Spirit. He makes it so, so simple in talking about like docility to the Holy Spirit, you know, that we just can so overcomplicate things and that docility to the Holy Spirit has such an eternal feeling or characteristic to it as opposed to like our own human reasoning. And he just like very humbly says, you know, a simple example, you know, I'm finished with my day and kind of overwhelmed by this burden or this problem. And I think in my humanity and in my reasoning, I need to go to the chapel and pray about this and really tackle this problem with the Lord. But there's this subtle invitation, this inspiration of the Holy Spirit that just says, just go to bed. Like you just need to sleep. And conversely, he could be getting ready for bed and feeling exhausted at the end of the day, maybe after preaching like a long retreat And he thinks, I just need to get some sleep. And the Lord prompts him, just come spend a few minutes with me, and I'll give you a deeper refreshment than if you slept. And that was just such a helpful example to me that it doesn't always make sense. In fact, sometimes the inspiration of the Holy Spirit (laughs) seems a little bit contrary even to what makes sense to us. That's a perfect example, yeah. It's not something that you arrived at through your own reasoning, right? That's happened to me a handful of times in confession, probably five or six occasions where I get done telling someone something and I'm just like, what the heck? That piece of advice has never crossed my mind ever. Can you imagine like just being led by that all day long? I feel like I'm just coming to that realization that we're supposed to be talking to the Lord all day (laughs) and like hearing from him all day. It's always been an ideal. You know, that's what it's supposed to be. St. Paul talks about pray without ceasing. But I feel like I'm only starting to even explore or understand or practice engaging with the Lord throughout the day in very simple things. Like you're talking about that His will is exactly what I'm doing right now. So I'm not working and then going to the chapel and checking in with the Lord later. Like I'm doing His will and I'm with Him in this present moment. Yeah. I read a story in Faustina's diary where she went home for Christmas one year, Poland, whatever, 1920s, and she said at the end of her week there how pleased she was to be able to like tell the Lord that she didn't lose his presence for the whole week. It's like kids running around everywhere, all this kind of crazy stuff happening, but she didn't lose the awareness of his presence in her soul or in the providence of the present moment or in the souls of her nieces and nephews and family members. She didn't even for one moment lose that unceasing prayer that you're kind of describing. I talk about this book on every platform every single week, but in Insinu Yezu, he talks about having this interior adoration of the Eucharist, even when you're not 
in the physical presence of the Eucharist. And that if you spend this time and then commend your day and your actions, you can make this a spiritual adoration, essentially, that even while you're at work, even when you're interacting with your brothers, you're still before my Eucharistic face adoring me. It's really that language of being away from the Lord and yet interiorly gazing upon his Eucharistic face that has kind of opened this up for me. Well, thanks, guys, for this very enlightening (laughs) chat. I have more to pray about, for sure. Thank you, Father. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Keep up all the great work. Thank you. Thanks, Father, Father would, you be, would you be yeah. willing to close us in prayer? Yeah, for sure. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you for choosing Beth and Jenna to carry out this great work of Blessed is She. Thank you for choosing me as a priest. Help us to be always more docile to your will. Help us to want what you want and help us to foster interior silence and quiet hearts so that we might be ready at every single moment to say yes to what you want. We ask all these things through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Father. Yeah, you're welcome. Enjoy the rest of your day. Yeah, (laughs) thank you too. too. Bye. Thanks so much for gathering with us here on the Blessed Is She podcast. Send over all your questions using the Anchor app. We'd love to hear from you. Connect with us at blessedishe.net slash community and join us on all your favorite social media platforms. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I love Twitter. Until next time.